0: Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. Hi, everybody. Uh, In today's episode, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, Old School Advanced um, old School Essentials Advanced Fantasy Rules, which are the supplemental rules for Old School Essentials, and then uh, I've got some calls from Jason Connolly and Carl Rodriguez. So, here we go. Let's talk a little bit about Old School Essentials Advanced. I, you know, I've been running for uh, the past year a campaign using Old School Essentials, which is effectively um, the old... BX, basic expert, van Cook rule set. It's just been repackaged and reorganized for better clarity of content. Uh, it doesn't have the flavor text. And, I've, you know, we've talked about that a lot between myself and various callers. Um, but it is BX. It is BX. They, they've, they've added, there's two things <laughs> he changed that Gavin Norman added here. One, he he put the ja- a javelin in the equipment list. That doesn't appear in the original books but he was able to pretty much uh he's got a note that explains how he did it um i believe he extrapolated from uh from uh other content that had been written for basic and expert um so that technically is a, an addition um maybe not to the the addition of bx but to the to the extent that old school essentials is just the basic and the expert manuals combined, uh, and then he did put in the option for ascending armor class, which is mathematically uh, virtually identical to in terms of probabilities to hit. So, so instead of using a Thaco, well, he, he puts Thaco in there. That term wasn't actually used in BX. All that's instead of attack matrix, you have a Thaco, which is more of a AD&D thing versus um, um, negative armor class. And uh, he added the option for characters to have an attack bonus and monsters to have an attack bonus versus an ascending armor class. But mathematically, statistically, in terms of probabilities, it's it's the same thing. It's just the way you, you know, the uh, the way you calculate it um, up, upwards or downwards of, of the central c- center center point of the uh, of the range. Um which may be more statistical stuff than anybody cares to to know about, <laughs> but anyway, that's that's all old school essentials is. With Advanced, so so old school essentials, the, the core old school essentials, classic fantasy, is, I think, basically a re- you could call it a retro clone. It is just using the open gaming license to give us, um, and maybe one of the purest. I, I think labyrinth lord. Somebody might might correct me wrong, but I think labyrinth lord. May have been maybe the only one that was a pure, the only other one that's been a pure just uh, copy and paste of basic expert d and um, I think most of the other retro clones um, add a little bitty house rules or, or innovations or tweaks that the the author thought, well, I'm going include, to include a few of my house rules in here while I'm Sort of using the the open gaming license to create kind of a a, a slightly different version of BX, um, but old school essentials again. Other than, and I I would even say adding the javelin in there is a a house rule. I think I think again I think he pulled it from uh, other material that was used in the ba- in the modules written for BX. Um. And and like I said, the, probably the only thing that you might even consider a house rule in here is the ascending armor class. But he's using. Mechanics from other versions of D anD D that give you the exact uh, statistical probability to hit, uh, based on on your level and the armor of of your target and things like that. So, um, so Old School Essentials Classic Fantasy is a retro clone. Old School Essentials Advanced Fantasy, which is a, supp- a supplement uh, to Old School Essentials, attempts to uh, bring in basically bring in all the open gaming content available from first edition D&D, including some of the content from Unearthed Arcana. And so what you get in um, Old School Essentials are you get, um, it's kind of interesting, in in Old School Advanced or Old School Essentials Advanced, you get um, um, some additional classes, which would have been found in the first edition player's handbook and in Unearthed Arcana. So you get the acrobat, uh, the assassin, the barbarian, you get a, a bard um druids illusionists paladins rangers they, they have a class called knight which is effectively the cavalier they just call it a knight here um and he he makes a note in this that he left the monk out because uh he's later going to uh and I'm talking when I say he I'm talking about Gavin Norman is going to plans to do a a a old school essentials book themed around uh, um, Asian themed fantasy. And that's where you might get, he you, you feels like the monk would be a more appropriate class there. So that's the only thing missing, but these are not just a retro clone of those advanced Dungeons and Dragons classes. These are the, the, the concept of those classes restructured around a BX style class, so, so you get you basically get a BX style barbarian, a BX style assassin, a BX style paladin and ranger. So it's not just what you can you, would, you can hold them side to side between the uh, their the way they're presented in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and they're not the same thing. These are these classes remade to play alongside or within a game of BX D&D. Uh, so I think here we're li- this is not a retro clone. Old school essentials, classic fantasy by itself is a retro clone. When you add these rules in, I think you're getting more of an old school, uh, obviously an old school OSR style game, but now it's it's, it's becoming its own game. Um, inspired by, but not a, a direct copy of, or, or a continuation of uh, the game that inspired. If we're talking about advanced Dungeons and Dragons now for the, for the advanced rules. The cool thing is you get a couple of other options here um they give you race racial classes you know in bx the elf dwarf and halfling are racial classes they don't they don't have a class if you have a you know the fighter cleric thief and magic user are humans and then elf dwarf and, and uh, halfling are a class unto themselves well they give you the other AD&D races as classes so you have a uh a gnome class, a half-elf class, a half-orc class, and they go ahead and, and, and broaden it out to st- stuff that was available in Unearthed Arcana. So you also have um, uh, a drow, duergar, available as um, classes, and the Zwerfneplin, or the Deep Gnome, um, which were, were options for uh, alternative types of elves, dwarves, and gnomes put, to, put forth in Unearthed Arcana. Then you have, in addition to those races as classes, you have an option for the entire and still playing with the BX rules in terms of the mechanics and everything like that. But but an option for separating race from class entirely, so it gives you those those races as well as just races. That then you can make fight, them a fighter or a thief or a, or a cleric or whatever the case may be, and it goes back and, and also gives you um, the. Uh, elf dwarf and halfling as just races that you can, you can add to class. So you can play again. These are still very much BX style characters. Everything's scaled to BX. You can, you can use them in BX modules. You can use them. Uh, I mean, you still have to use the old school classic fantasy for equipment lists and, and certain, some, a lot of the spells, although there is also an old school advanced, a, a, uh, lists and descriptions for druid and illusionist spells. Um, so it's not done the way Advanced Dungeons & Dragons is done, but that option is there, again, to uh, to treat race and class separately to create a BX-style character that will run in old-school essentials. Um, so that that's kind of, the, in terms of character creation, you get that. It adds just a few more pages of rules of pull to some of the highlights of things that AD&D, I think, expanded on and, and did, did very well, actually. Um, So what do you get? Let's see here. Let me flip through the book. Um, You get uh, rules on poison, which you're going to need if you're going to have an assassin class in the game, Um, bloodstream poisons, ingested poisons. And so, um, and again, these are, these are poisons. It's not just save or die poisons. You have options for, for um, poisons that just do damage, poisons that cause instant death, um, things like that. And rules for how you administer poison, you know, uh, if you're trying to poison somebody, um, that's 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 kind of considered a um, core rule. It's it's it's. I mean, obviously, advanced fantasy is an option for OSE, but if you're doing it, it's sort of implied here because it's just under the poison. But then it's got some um, optional ad- section on advanced rules, which considers optional. You don't have to use these. These are going to be add-on rules to the to the to gameplay that are not kind of in the core structure of the classes um, so they have class abilities um, uh, limits to turning on dead it clarifies how many times a day a cleric can attempt to turn undead and what happens if they're working with mixed groups of undead again these are these are going to parallel what you see in a Uh it allows magic users officially to use staff as a weapon uh, in, in basic, they were an expert. They were limited only to daggers. Uh, so, this um, gives them the option to uh, also use a staff um, as a weapon. Uh, it's got some rules for attacking with two weapons. So, so basically, dual wielding, uh, rules on charging into melee. Uh, a rule, the, the AD&D rule on missile targets in melee, where you can't just shoot into melee. You can't shoot around your friends. You can't shoot over your friends. <laughs> uh, if, if there's melee going on, you have a chance of hitting anybody involved in the, the general melee um, and how to adjudicate which person actually gets hit, including adjusting the, uh, the role for that so that larger creatures have a higher chance than smaller creatures. Um, it's got a rule for parrying. And then a clarification on splash weapons and then using a D12 when it misses to determine what um which direction it's off by. You, you roll a D12 and treat the results as though it's at the face of a clock. So pretty cool. Um, let's see, what else? So some, a little more cl- clarification on magic of raising the dead, uh, the chances of survival based on your constitution, um, an option for uh, wizards to start with more spells in their spell book. And to add more spells to the spellbook, remember in BX, your number of spells in your spellbook equals your spells per day. Um, this gives them more of an AD&D option of allowing a, a, a magic user to add more spells to their spellbook, which is what I think most people are familiar with. And a lot of people erroneously assume that you can do that in BX um, if they're coming in from other editions. Because I believe that's the only edition of d d that doesn't allow wizards by default to do that. Uh, it's got rules for multiple classes. It doesn't say multi-classing. It doesn't really say it doesn't present what's in A D and D. It basically just says um, um I mean you could you could even do this with humans. You you, you can limit it to demo humans. You could you could also do it with humans if you wanted to. Um but it doesn't note that um in, in the the um uh, traditional advanced rules, only demihumans are allowed to choose multiple classes, and then only specific combinations. The referee may consider creating combinations of allowed classes, because in the, uh, as I previously mentioned, when they break out races just as races, it gives you, for all the demi-human races, um, uh, allowable the classes they can take and the level limits on those classes. Um, and, but then it explains basically the traditional way of uh, splitting experience points, and you, of course, you use the better saving throw and thaco between the, the two or, cl- or more classes you're using, and what armor and weapons you can use, and things like that. Uh, it's got a page on secondary skills. You roll a D100, or you can either pick, or you can roll randomly a D100, and it gives you a, a secondary skill. Um, and it's got an option for weapon proficiencies, including weapon specialization for martial characters, so fighters, paladins, rangers, and barbarians. Um, Again, the, your kind of martial types start with uh, four weapon proficiencies and gain one every time there are a Thacko and Prusas, which is basically uh, every three levels. Your semi martial characters, which are, you know, thieves and clerics, druids, uh, assassins, things like that, they uh, start with three weapon proficiencies and gain one at every four levels. And then your, your wizards and illusionists, your non martial characters, um, They start with one weapon and they get one another one every five levels and then fighters can, can do weapon specialization. So some of the better, more popular rules that you find in a D and D are are there uh, to use. I think I also need to mention carcass crawler, uh, which is the uh, official old school essentials zine. The first issue is out, came out quite a while back. The second one is pending here in the next month or so. Um, it's a nice little zine, and in, in this first issue, um, they give you some alternate uh, alternate classes. There's an acolyte, which is a, a basically it's doing away with spells for for clerics and um, magic users, and you get you get a an acolyte as is the the cleric version of it, and then um, a mage is the the magic user version of it. And instead of having spell slots, they've just got Magical abilities, for example, the alkalite bless, detect magic, no alignment, purify, and these are just things they can do. Um, turning undead is still in there, but they work like uh, thief skills. So, so you've got a table with all these special abilities and a percentage of success, and you roll a percentile die to see if you succeed on those things, and uh, the mage works uh, the same way. Um, detect magic, open and close things. Basically you can magically, it's kind of like mage hand, um, rally your fear. So you can create bolster people's, you can create a fear effect or, or or rally your allies, read magic suggestion. And again, these are all on a, on a percentile chance of success. Uh, and then they've added a, a kineticist. This is a a original class by Gavin Norman. Um, basically a Jedi. (laughs) Uh, they have, um, uh, let's see, a D6 hit die, um, Dexterity and Wisdom are their prime requisites. Um, they get an, a, a flat AC bonus. There's a little bit of Monk in here, though it's not quite a Monk. Um, and, uh, some saving, they're saving throws, and they have a number of mental powers. They start with three mental powers, and they gain one at every odd numbered level. Uh, and then it describes some some mental powers. Accelerated motion, controlled density, crushed life, um, which is basically a force choke. <laughs> a kinetic fist, a kinetic leap, kinetic shield, telekinetic attack, kinetic wave. It's not quite a psionist, and it's not quite a monk. Um, again, I think it's very much a Jedi kind of, f- a fantasy version of the Jedi. Um, but you could easily, I think, use this in, in place of a monk, uh, since there's not a, a monk class that's been created yet for old school essentials. Um, and then we get um, some new races. And again, it gives you the race as a class. If you want to do it complete old school style or it gives you the race to combine with a class and you get uh, goblins, you get gargantua, which are basically goliaths. Um, and then a Hephaeston, which is, uh, somewhat like an elf. It's basically a Vulcan, um, which is a nice little play on words to call it a hephaeston Hephaestius is <laughs> the Greek God of Vulcan. Vulcan is the Roman name for Hephaestius, right? Um, and so, uh, as a class, they come with some, some, um, Basic mental powers, ESP, uh, healing trance, mind control, mind shield, telepathy. So this would be a place, a way you could probably play a, a bit more of a psionicist and just say it's a human and not a, a separate, uh, not, not a separate race. Uh, when you look at Hephaestans as uh, a race, um, basically have, they basically have the, the Vulcan nerve pinch <laughs> this is their power. Um so there's rules for black powder firearms. These are somewhat similar to the ones you find in Lamentations of the Flame, Flame Princess, so they're not ex- exactly, um, exactly the same. Uh, but it also gives you the, uh, you know, in, in BX, you have specialists that you can retain and hire, like blacksmiths and alchemists and things like this. This one, this one uh, has a, an assist, a gunsmith and an assistant gunsmith, so it can tell you how long and how much it costs them to, to create uh, manufacture firearms. Uh, so you've got a blunderbuss, a heavy musket, a musket, uh, which I think most people might, a lot of people might call an arquebus, but it's listed as a musket. And then a, what we would think of, I think, as a musket is the heavy musket that you have to prop up on a fork um, and a pistol. And you have options on whether you want them to, to be flint lock, match lock, or wheel lock, what level of sort of technology you want your setting at. Uh, and then there's some optional rules. Um, Again, they're, they're combat talents, which are kind of kind of like feats that are for fighters. Although you could probably extend them to any martial character. That goes, at, you know, once every once fifth and tenth level. So you have cleave. You know, if you strike a foe down, you can make an immediate attack, another melee attack on a, on another opponent of the minus two penalty. Um, it doesn't really say that that can't keep going, so it could function like the great cleave, where if you kill that second one, you just keep going until you miss. A uh, defender, when a fighter is in melee with a foe, any foe that attacks an, a character other than the fighter is penalized. Um, leadership. There's main gosh, which helps you uh, defend with a dagger in your offhand. Slayer, which gives you a favored enemy, kind of like a ranger. And then there's weapon specialists, which is basically weapon specialization. And it makes a note that if you're using the uh, weapon proficiency rules, you should remove this one from the list of optional talents. Um and then there's uh, an alternative things for thief skills. This was a really nice write-up. Um, it gives you an option for for um, uh, doing them as a D1 and 6 chance, a D6-based skill as opposed to a percentile, which I suppose you could then extrapolate and apply to to any other classes you might use that have those kind of abilities like, like Rangers or, or these new um, newly presented, you know, mages and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and then it gives you some uh, how to, how to, how to set pickpockets and uh, reading languages. And, and then there's expertise. Um, it's, it's a way of uh, allowing skills thieves to distribute points across their skills to raise you. So they don't just increase flat, you know, one and six to two and six to three and six across the board. They pick it, which skills they want to focus on and what rate. So it's kind of like allocating skills that you would do in AD&D where you pick which thief skills you want to, you want to advance. Um, second edition AD&D, anyway. Um, adjudicating thief skills. Um, this gives us optional rules for what you do when someone who's not a thief wants to try something that a thief does. And so it sort of tells you, for example, um, climbing sheer surfaces, which is a thief skill. These thieves can just, um, you, you know, you, you could you could it's uh, it's a, a suggestion ma- letting uh, other characters make a dex check and just letting thieves do it. So just take it off the table that the thief has to roll, and another person can make a dex check because if you. <laughs> If you, if you have them make the then make a dex check, you start to get into that question of, well, a dex check is light, more likely successful for a lot of players in low-level Thieves percentile. Um, <clears throat> but then some of these other skills, and I'm not going to go through all of them, talk about whether you should just let, if you're going to let other people try it, one option is to let Thieves succeed on this, or the other people is to, other jo- option is to um, a lot of times let them roll for a six oh, oh, chance. It's a one in six for anybody else to do it. And a thief gets a two and six or better based on their level, uh, things like that. So, um, but then there are things that that other people can't do. Like it suggests that um, don't let other people pick pockets or pick locks or things like that, that that, that's, but they could have obviously tried to sneak around to hide, to decode languages, to um, climb walls and things like that. So, um, so it's a real handy uh, set of optional rules as well. So I guess I went a little beyond the old school advanced. I also include this included these options for Carcass Crawler. But again, I think you're seeing that um, old school essentials has its core set of rules that uh, are BX. They're, they're just BX. But then you start adding um, old school advanced and some of the options that are going to be appearing probably in in this this issue, not only this first issue of Carcass Crawler, but the ones that are coming out in the future. And you'll see that there's a, there's a, an going to be at a, these um, supplemental set of rules that can that can turn the game into not just a retro clone of BX, but into to its own unique kind of game using BX mechanics, but with things inspired from other sources. Uh, I should also mention Advanced also gives you all the magic items and monsters from AD&D that are available under the Open Gaming License, not just the classes and, and spells. Um So, I'm looking forward to using this. Um, I think uh, I mentioned I'm going to run Temple of Elemental Evil coming up this year. I think I may run uh, two two campaigns. Uh, One is with 5th edition D&D, because I really want to try out Goodman Games' adaptation of Temple of Elemental Evil, but I also might run the classic one and just kind of tweak it a little bit. I know it's written as AD&D, but do an old school essentials advanced uh, version of it too, and, and see, you know, how, how it plays out side by side. So I, I may do that. Um, I also talk to my players about, um, in the mythic world of Erd about, uh, you know, I've got other plans for that campaign. We're not going to do temple level elemental evil there, but if they might like to, once we kind of get to this, finish this first arc that we've started with the characters, uh, which should take them from the basic level characters to experts. So they should get up to fourth level, I think, about switching over, re- kind of rebuilding their characters with the advanced fantasy so that Dolly the Dwarf would then be a Dwarf fighter and uh, some of the warrior, type, some of the fighters in the group might decide that, you know, their character may actually be more of a ranger or, or, uh barbarian or something like that. And a, the thief could be an assassin if they wanted, you know, it would have to make sense for the character concept, but, but given those options. Um, anyway, that's my review of old school essentials, advanced fantasy. I think uh, Gavin Norman has once again done a great job. I, I don't know what it is about um, old school essentials. And, and, and I would also say uh, swords and wizardry as well. Yeah, there's been so many retro clones and uh, or OS OSR inspired games that sort of take those those old games either either Basic or Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and and uh, create a similar inspired product. But but um, I don't know what it is about old school essentials and, and the Swords and Wizardry that seems to really why there's such a cut above some of the other stuff i, I know a lot of people like lamentations of the Frame, flame princess i like it but i think as popular it is as it has been i don't know if it's really hit struck the same chord that old school essentials has um i don't know if it's just because the 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 uh the, the people doing them are so great i mean, I mean you know it, it, what they do just the quality of the product they're just these are just nice they're fun books to read they're they're, they're well done um and they uh yeah, I, I I maybe some other people have some other thoughts on why uh old school essentials has sort of exploded uh in a way that other retro clones have not, so that they're now able to do these advanced rules and give us an a uh, um it's almost like having an expanded version of BX. If if they'd have stuck with BX instead of uh Moving on to AD&D, if if that had been the one the product line that had won out had won out over AD&D and, and sustained, maybe this is what it might have looked like as it expanded. Uh, I know I remember seeing a, uh, I think you can find the video on on YouTube where it's uh Mike Merles, uh, Matt Mercer, Matt Colville, and uh, Adam Coble talking about uh, the state of D&D, and and I think. One of them, it might have been Mike Merles. I can't remember. He said, you know, if BX had uh, had, um, or maybe Merles said this in a different interview. But if BX had been the one that had sort of taken center stage instead of AD&D, we'd be looking at a very different history of D&D right now. Um, that people sometimes don't appreciate just how popular uh, BX was, you know, unless you were there when when it was the the game of the day. So. So let's make a uh, an OSE advanced character real quick, um, just to see what it's like. Uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to use Fantasy Grounds to kind of help me automate some of this, so that I can uh, you know it's, it's not just dragging on with me <laughs> copying things from the book to paper. It'll go. Uh, obviously, BX characters are easy to make, and even when you add a couple of other of these options from advanced fantasy is not going to make it last that much longer, take that much longer. Um, so, uh, but, but just in the, sort of the safe exp- expediency, I am going to roll my stats in gold though, so that we can see what we get. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So, all right, here we go. i got some dice. Here we go. For my strength. I get a 14. Intelligence is a, an eight. Wisdom, and the dice dropped off my desk. Where did it go? Uh, wisdom 15. 12 Dexterity. 13 Con. And uh, for Charisma, I got another 13. And then for Gold nine. So I got 90 gold. Okay. Let's, let's see what we want to do with this character. Then I think I want to make a fighter just because I was very interested in the, the options that were presented for fighters between, um, old school advanced and, uh, carcass crawler. So, so let's, let's start. We're going to, uh, see, Well, let's see what 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 kind of fighter do we want to make? What race do we want to be? Um, let's just uh, let's just go with a good old fashioned human fighter. So one option that they mentioned in, in, in uh, old school advanced is for humans. Um, because we all know that once you start uh, adding more demi-human options to the game, humans become less attractive. <laughs> uh, particularly if you start messing around with, with uh, restrictions on, on uh, classes and level limits. So, so I, I will mention that. Uh, um, Actually, I think this may be a standard old school uh, essentials rule. Let me, let me check on here. Uh Oh, no, no, it is because human, it would be <laughs> advanced because human is broken out as a, a separate race here um, as an option. So let's let me find it. Yeah, so it says if you're going to. Um, it says if the optional rule, you use an optional rule for lifting uh, demi-human class and level restrictions. You might consider giving the following benefits to human uh, one plus one to charisma and plus one to constitution. Um, they're considered blessed, so when they roll for hit points, they um, they can roll twice and take the better result. Decisiveness: when an initiative's roll is tied, humans act first, as if they'd won initiative. Or if you're using individualist individual initiative, they get a plus one bonus to initiative. And then leadership: all humans, human re- humans retainers and hirelings gain a plus one. Bonus to morale. So, if I was going to t- mess around with um, level limits and, and restrictions, I'm I'm don't plan on doing that anyway. That's a little bit sidetracked from creating this character. But anyway, I, I neglected to put mention that in the previous segment as an option. But uh, anyway, so we're just gonna we're just gonna have a a human uh, fighter. So let's see. I've also got a let's see a random name generator. <laughs> Finnegan. That'll be this human fighter's name is Finnegan. Um, all right. So I'm going to drop human on his sheet as a race. And then we're going to make him a fighter. Although his wisdom score um, would, would probably make him a pretty good cleric. Uh, it's got a nice charisma. He could be a paladin. I mean, They, they only require a charisma of nine in an old school advance to be a paladin. Um, nah, we'll just stick with we'll just stick with the fighter here. Um, you know what? Now let's make him a ranger. Uh, so I'm gonna put the ranger on there. Old school advanced ranger. There we go. Um, now the, the thing with the the ranger is if I want to tweak my. Uh, Ability scores, I may or may not want to. He's got pretty good ones across the board. I mean, uh, he's got a 14 strength uh, and a 15 wisdom. He, he's got got—he's got pretty much good everything here. But let's see what... Um, I have to have a, a nine con, a nine wisdom, even though strength is the prime requisite. So he's in good shape across the board. He's got a... Um, uh, but what I think I am going to do is I'm going to take 2 points off the wisdom cuz that'll drop it to a 13 which I think makes no um makes no difference in terms of you know 13 to 15 range is pretty much the same in terms of it's effects on magic saves and I mean barring a straight up wisdom check but I'm going to put that into I'm going to take two points off of his wisdom and bump his strength up to a 15. You know what? That really doesn't matter. Does it? He'd have to get to a 16 to get an XP bonus. And I don't want to, I don't want to drop his wisdom anymore. So no, I mean, there's really no point in, in maxing and <laughs> optimizing and BX. You can tweak a little bit, you know, that, that rule is really designed to help you, um, Get to get to be better at a class you want to play when you can play around with strength, intelligence, and wisdom. Um, but there, there's no reason with this particular character to uh, to do that. Um, anyway, so he's a first level ranger. Uh, so let's roll his hit die. Oh, he got a seven on his hit die. So with his plus one for having a thirteen con, he he's got eight hit points. Very good. Okay, let's get his equipment going. Okay, so we got what are the, what are the ranger's abilities? Um, in old school, essential, advanced, well, uh, at first level, they've got um, a surprise attack. We're in the wilderness, a ranger has a three and six chance of going unnoticed when sneaking up on a target. If the ranger goes unnoticed, uh, the target may be surprised. Uh, so, and again, you can see an example of, of the six. You've got a tracking skill, which the Current twenty percent chance that it goes up at every level by ten percent. Um, so that so that basically by the time the ranger reaches ninth level, there's no there's no uh, barring a a penalty for for circumstances. There there there's no there you can't run you can't you can't hide from a ranger if he's tracking you. Basically, <laughs> um, and it gives some in the in the in the class entry it gives some examples of how you might add a. Uh, a penalty or a bonus to the role based on softer, hard ground and the size of the troop being tracked. Uh, so it's all right there. Everything, every rule you would need to run this character independently from just the core basic rules of, of how attacks and saves and stuff work. They're all right here in, in, a, in, the, in the one page, two page spread here. Um, he's got his tracking. He's got a surprise attack awareness. Uh, Rangers are only surprised in a roll of one. Um, Foraging and hunting, you know, when when the party is foraging and hunting, uh, the ranger, if they have a ranger with them, they have a two and six chance of success to find prey when hunting and a five and six chance. Or I'm sorry, two and six when they're foraging for, you know, nuts and berries and things like that and a five and six chance if they're actively hunting prey. So there's some base chances that anybody has per the normal wilderness exploration rules. Um, Pursuit. Uh, when a ranger's party pursues an op- opposing group in the wilderness, the chance of evasion is reduced by 10%. And limited possessions this is a restriction that, you know, rangers have to only carry around what they can keep on themselves or their mount. They can't, um, you know, they don't build strongholds or amass um, uh, large amounts of things. They have to donate things to a worthy cause. They're, they're more than their living expenses and the price of, you know, they're doing their job. Uh, of course, tenth level rangers can um, attract followers. That might be fantastic. Other other adventurers, uh, s- sylvan creatures, uh, special monsters, fantastic mounts. Um, but you kind of get yourself a merry band that you're not building a keep the way a, a fighter does to become a lord. Um, and of course, the rangers will get spells starting at eighth level in uh, in, in in this version of the game, and they're they they use the druid spell list. Um. Get eighth level. Yeah, they use the druid spell list. Uh, okay. Other than that, now we just got to do some equipment. Um, let's see. What do we want to do for his equipment? So I paused the recording and then I recorded an entire segment without actually recording it on. Uh, Finnegan's equipment so real quickly <laughs> what I did with his 90 pieces of gold is I got him a, a backpack and it's a pretty standard adventuring gear rope and a grappling hook a large sack to put his loot in um, some torches a tinderbox um, water skin and some rations and uh, he didn't have enough money to get a, a proper bow <clears throat> so uh, I gave him a sling and some sling stones and he'll have to, he'll have to get a bow. Uh, <laughs> when he uh, get a bow off of, of a fallen foe, or as soon as he gets a little bit of gold in his pocket, more gold in his pocket, get some, get a bow and arrows. I uh, armed him with a leather armor, um, a sword and a dagger. I was going to go a shield, but I think I was interested in one of these options from carcass crawler, which is uh fighter talents, which are functioning like little feats. Um, and I think it's, it's okay to, 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 um, uh, one, you might say, I'm going to make this for fighters and that excludes Rangers, paladins, barbarians, and the like, cause they get other special abilities and fighters don't. Um, so you may, you may not want to do that, but I'm, I'm exploring the rules here. So what I, um, decided to do was, um, Go ahead and allow him, since he's he's a, he's a ranger, to to take one of these fighter talents for first level, and I'm going to give him the main the uh, the main gosh, I believe that's how you say it, uh, ability. Um, which when you when you're wielding a dagger in your off hand, instead of a shield, you um, you gain a plus one to AC, and two attack rolls. So. Um, not to damage, but to attack Also, So he'll be attacking with a sword, but he gets a plus one bonus to his attack with the sword. In addition to the defensive bonus, as though he, he has shield, um, for, for being able to parry with that, um, dagger. And that gives him some versatility. If you go back to some of the AD and D options that come out of the advanced fantasy, um, because it allows him to, uh, to attack with two weapons. um, if he wants to go on the offensive um, or he, you know, we know, take a penalties to both those attacks, but uh, otherwise he can use, and he, because he's got a strength of 13, he can also just parry with his, his um, main weapon, his sword. And that would add his uh, strength bonus again to his armor class. So um, with just leather, because uh, he doesn't have a dex bonus, he's looking at an armor class of seven, but he, um... did that calculate that right? Uh, but but with that, um now I'm wondering if there's I've caught an error in uh, in uh the programming here for the guy that did this rule set. I doubt it. But maybe just, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Armor class seven, but he gets the main gouge effect for um for his dagger, so now he's got an armor class six and he could drop that to a five if he chose to just parry. So um this on his character sheet. And he's good to go. Um, So we've got Finnegan. He's a lawful human ranger. Strength 14, intelligence 8, wisdom 15, dexterity 12, con 13, charisma 13. He's got an armor class of six due to his leather armor and his pairing, his his main gosh pairing with his dagger. Um, Again, the option to go peer defen- defensively to go down to a five with that, uh, or to just um, on the offense, he gets um, he's already got a plus one to his his attack and damage for his sword, but he gets another plus one to attack because of the main gauche ability, um, and then he's got all his ranger skills, the, the tracking and pursuit and um, things like that. So, and he's got uh, ten gold left over for you know emergencies that might come up, food, lodging anything like that. So there we go. That, um, what are we looking at on time? Uh, we've got, I'm coming right at in five minutes on the second half of the segment. And it took me 10 minutes, but I was explaining a lot. So that's 15 minutes to, to make this character, to me, explain to you step-by-step step how I'm making this character. If, if I were just to sit down and do it, we're probably looking at five minutes, um, give or take probably 10 if you're doing it with pen and paper. So again, it remains really quick once you, you have the rules in front of you to, uh, to still make these fast characters like you, you would in BX at first level. And, uh, I may have to put this character aside and play him at some point. Um, he's, he's an interesting character. Uh, as I think about him, he looks like he might make a pretty good Ranger anyway. Um, Oh, secondary skill. I did roll a secondary skill and it came up with a Lorimer. And in case you're wondering what a Lorimer is, um, that is um, a person who um, does all the the little metal bits that go on saddles and bits and bridles for horses. So it's it's, it's a they, they tink they, they do some metal work, but it's specifically to uh, not not the leather working part of, of saddles and, and, and reins and things like that, but the and bridles, but the the, the little metal bits that hold them all together, which I, I, I assume would include buckles and. Things like that on the on the, the saddle, the strap. Anyway, so that is Finnegan, the old school advanced ranger. Okay, let's take some calls. I've got some calls um, from Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast, and from Jason Connolly of the Nerds RPG
1: Variety Cast. So we'll start off with some calls from Carl. Hey, BJ, this is Carl. Congratulations on number 100. It's been a fun ride. I really enjoy uh, getting and listening to your podcast when I see the feed. I love uh, the recaps. I love what you bring um, to thoughts about GMing, especially. This last episode was really great about making things your own. And, and maybe maybe it's kind of got to do that nowadays because everyone, you know, listens to actual play or watches things on the critical roles or whatever. And that's a great idea to just change things around. And maybe one does it naturally as players experience and go through a particular uh, dungeon or adventure. But uh, maybe the initial prep is a great idea to do. I know I do that with Warhammer Fantasy. But I haven't done it with a published uh, D&D type module. I wonder if like having all these VTTs, well, I'll just say from my point of view, I feel like having these adventures pre-written and then having the VTTs available has kind of made me a little lazy in prep for them. And I definitely feel like I need to get better. And maybe that's why Warhammer is so good because I read way ahead I know what the motivations are for the bad guys. I kind of have an idea what how the, what the players are doing timeline wise. And, uh, and then I can react or have the world react, not me react, but have the world react, uh, based on that Intel. And I think the same with T2K, you know, I read, I've read the thing ahead of time and now it's just kind of rolling. Right. So, um, Yeah. So maybe I gotta change the way I do things a little bit. But uh, thanks for the reminder.
0: Yeah, Carl, I think um you know the electronic tools and the virtual tabletops certainly make for easier prep. But they might I can see it lulling you in a sense of since so much is automated, you almost want to game master or DM on autopilot instead of actively thinking about um you know what to do, and then and then what happens when things change. You know you've got macros and and things kind of pre-programmed in for attacks and saving throws and what monsters are about to appear on the board, and then well, what happens if the players do something that should change that, and now you've got to <laughs> you've got to use your keyboard and your mouse and your your menus and drag and drop and copy and paste on all that stuff to to reset. Whereas if you're just at the tabletop, you just roll with it. You maybe just have to flip to a different page in the monster manual, you know. Um, so yeah, I could see how that that might make you a little and, and particularly lull you into false insecurity. Oh, it's all set up, particularly if I bought the prepackaged and pre programmed module. I don't have to I don't have to read ahead to, to understand the story and the plot and, and what's kinda going on uh in the background until it just pops up on my screen and I just read it, you know. And I think I think it's good to not um to not get lulled into that false sense of um you know, don't ever you know don't let the uh, the author of a of a, an adventure tell you that you can't make it your own. Don't let, don't let the damn computer tell you that you can't make it, <laughs> make it your own. As great as these tools are, they're still just tools, and um, it's the riddle of steel. What's more powerful, the rule set or the game master who wields it? <laughs> so uh, thanks for the call. And oh wait, we got some more here from Carl,
1: real quick. Hey, speaking of Claremont. I think I really got into Claire, the comics from the Excalibur series that he did from '88 to '91. I, really, I collected a lot of that, and I, I don't even know if I still have it. <laughs> Honestly, I probably—I think I got rid or sold a lot of my comics somewhere along the way. Um, I have no idea. I mean, I have a few. Like I have the—I was looking. I have Grimjack. I have um, some lone. Uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, that they had done as in English, um, back in that during that time frame, maybe a few others. I have to look. I, I, I mean, hopefully I didn't get rid of Excalibur because those were fun things to read. Oddly, I have a a series called 1602, which is a DC series of uh, supers in Elizabethan period.
0: Hey, Carl. Um... Yeah, Excalibur was also great. Another great series that Chris Claremont launched. Of course it outlived it still continued past his uh his run as the author, but he certainly launched it um when he had uh in the pages of uh X Men, uh, of course Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, and Rachel Summers were injured and out of commission, and then the the rest of the X Men seemingly vanished and perished, although they didn't, they they just continued on in secret you know hiding the fact that they were still alive. And so those three X-Men, uh, relocated it. I think it was Demure Island to, to heal up and then wound up joining up with Captain Britain to form Excalibur. Um, so it was always kind of, you know, it was, it was, was an X-Men adjacent, but it wasn't originally, I think it meant to be, uh, purely an X-Men family book. It just happened to have some, some X-Men characters in it. And then over, eventually the X-Men just kind of consumed it as, <laughs> it's just another X-Men comic. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Excalibur, the original concept and lineup of Excalibur, and I kind of you know they, they I kind of hope if they're gonna bring Captain Britain into the MCU, they let him exist, not just as an X Men. I mean, I know he's he's, he's Cy, Cy, also Psylocke's brother, so that ties him closer to the X Men. But I hope they kind of let him be his own hero because um, he has such a, a cool such a cool concept. Time back to the, the legacy of King Arthur and Merlin, and 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 that, and, and the British Isles themselves. And I hope I hope they let that character stand on its own. And really, um, and you know, a lot of people have talked about Henry Cavill playing Captain Britain. It'd be, be weird for him to play a superhero so similar to Superman in a lot of ways. Um, I'd hope Richard Madden would play him, going back to season one of Game of Thrones, um, but uh, I guess he had his run as Icarus and that's gonna be you know so occasionally they'll re- reuse characters when they can use them in a way where you barely recognize them from the last character they played um i know i know um the guy that played a uh, cotton in luke cage is gonna be blade but um and of course give Cham, you know and, and captain marvel she's done up in makeup to look like a Cree, so um when she's an eternal's it looks like a completely different character. I don't know if they'd recycle Richard Madden so soon to play Captain Britain, so hopefully they'll find somebody really good. Um, you mentioned Lone Wolf and Cub. I think, weren't you and I supposed to do an episode with Jason? Uh, Jason was supposed to have us on his show to do an episode about Lone Wolf and Cub, about the, the film series and the comics, so maybe we need to get on him about that. And then you mentioned 16—I think you mean Marvel 1602 by Neil Gaiman— where it's it's not DC oh two, which I think is a wonderful. I love that comic. It's Neil Gaiman. Um, he he only limited himself to the I guess the original Marvels created by Stan Lee. So it's it's it, there there aren't any characters that appeared prior to nineteen seventy, I think. Um, and so it's the classic Avengers, the original X Men, the uh, Fantastic Four, Hulk, Spider Man, Daredevil, Black Widow. Um, but I, you know, the, the premise for for anybody who hadn't read it is that it's it is set in uh, the you know Elizabethan period. Uh, Doctor Strange, then it's 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 Elizabethan versions of the actual original Marvel characters. So um, it's like Doctor Strange and uh, um, Nick Fury are, are Queen Elizabeth's among her chief advisors, and and there's this constant plot to assassinate her, and they they they're trying to pin it on Doctor Doom. Well, he's not Doctor Doom, he's just Victor Von Doom. Uh, and uh, but they're not sure if it's him or not. And it's really it's a really great um, storyline by by Neil Gaiman. I, and it inspired me one time. I I ran a few sessions using Fate trying to replicate that. Um it didn't quite work, but I would love to get back and do a supers game set in that time period. Um, so that it's uh you know, it's superheroes, but it's set in more of a, you know, Elizabethan uh, Renaissance, late Renaissance period. That would be that would be really cool to, to do a Supers game there. So add that to our list of, of things to do one day. <laughs> I don't know what system I would use, though, for Supers. Uh, fate was passable, but I think there may be some better systems out there for Supers. I'm sure you have one to recommend. Um, all right, well enough comic book top. Here's something else from Carl.
1: Man, sometimes when you guys share something, it triggers like a a gaming vignette, believe it or not. I guess I've gamed way too much and way too long. But your talk about the Clone Wars reminded me of an incident that kind of broke up a gaming group in my 3.5 long-term game, or at least it didn't ruin the campaign. It just made it so that there were two separate groups. Um, There were two, I guess, uh, alpha-type personalities but the clash was i thought very interesting so one one player said well i'm going to try to round up all the orphans um and and, you know it's uh, round up all the orphans in like my city my country and uh then you know open an orphanage but then he later said yeah i'm going to train them all to be scouts and spies so aren't you doing like isn't that kind of like Indentured servitude slash slavery, because you're training all these all these innocent kids to then now become murder hobos. At least that was the way that another player looked at it, um, and said that it was inherently morally wrong. Uh, sure, it's nice to then set up sure it's nice to set up an orphanage and give these kids a chance, but not to train them to be soldiers. That was hella crazy. And a bit evil in his mind, um, so then they kind of one group who believed. Well, I think most of the people in the group didn't like that idea, <laughs> yeah, honestly. And the campaign moved further north in Faerun into Cormir area. Um, so yeah, it was a very interesting fallout from that Clone War e type of setup, right? Yeah, that um,
0: Carl, that that is a interesting contrast to like the same idea in the Clone Wars. <laughs> of course, when you say child soldiers, it actually makes me think of Rogue One and Gen, Erzo, Gen Erzo, um, where you see um, you kind of get to see the aspects of the rebellion in in the Star Wars, in that galactic civil war area where the people did some pretty shady stuff, uh, ostensibly for a higher cause, you know, and you see. Um, you know, you you see a little bit of of kind of her her bad reputation and, and her association with Saw Gerrera, and of course, if you're familiar with the Clone Wars cartoons and later Rebels, you see Saw Gerrera go from a freedom fighter to be kind of in a fringe. <laughs> Maybe goes to extremes that the other a lot of the other Rebel leaders don't want to go to. Uh, of course, you also see Cass and Andor set up straight up what Cap assassinate a witness just to keep just to keep his cover. Um, so I thought that was interesting with Rogue One. You see the, peop- the kind of the shadier aspects of the Rebellion. Um, Star Wars is usually deals in some black and white morality, but it's nice to see little shades of gray in there uh, with uh, Rogue One. But then also, of course, more recently with Mandalorian and, and Boba Fett. Um, so, yeah, uh, but th- that's a whew, trying to get away with a child soldiering and Cormier would not would not go over well. <laughs> Unless you hit it pretty well. So, anyway, Carl, thank you for all the calls. It's always good to hear from you. And now we're going to turn to some calls from Jason Connerly. So, take it away, Jason.
2: ABJ, Jason here. Happy 100. If I haven't already said it. Um, but I'm curious. So you went to an individual initiative, which is fine. I mean, whatever works for the group, right? Um, just because. Anyway. Are you keeping declaration, like declaration of spells and declaration of retreat? Or have you removed that too, so have you stolen the chance for people to interrupt spellcasters during a turn? I'm I'm curious.
0: Yeah, Jason, I have kept the declaration of uh, spells and retreats. In fact, tweaked a little bit. Um, when I started to sort of, you know, the... And I was looking at the OSC. I probably should have gone back and looked at the uh, the BX rules originally, <laughs> but it's not really presented in OSC how clear, very clearly how um, individual initiative is, is supposed to work. When now you've got this order of, you know, the missile missile move, magic melee order of things. Um, so I had to kind of write it out and, and draft it out with some bullet points just for, so I could wrap my own head around what how it works. Um, I was probably overthinking it initially. So, it, it, of course, this remains very simple. Uh, but I did, went ahead and decided and said everybody has to declare their action. I know that's a bit of a house rule for BX where it, normally it's just the sp- if you're going to cast a spell or retreat. But what I found in doing is I would just automatically say roll initiative and, and roll initiative for the, the monsters and then go, oh, wait a minute. I was supposed to ask if anybody's going to retreat or um, cast a spell. Well, if I just say... Everybody, tell me what you're going to do before before we roll initiative. That'll that'll get the spellcasters and anybody wanting to do a retreat, and it, it, it'll throw everybody else in there, which I think probably works better anyway. Um, so yeah, the answer is yes. Not only am I, I having spellcasters and re, retreats declared, everybody's just going to declare what they intend to do, and then if you're not retreating or spellcasting, I'll give you an option to kind of adjust on the fly if your side loses initiative. Like you don't have to you don't have to say. If you say I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, move and melee attack this orc, um, and then for some reason that orc moves beyond your thing, well, you can you can still move and melee attack someone else. You know, you can adjust on the fly a little bit like that. I think that's okay, but you know, there's a reason for casting spells and not moving. It's to permit spell disruption, and there's a reason why I'm full retreats have to be declared. It's because there's a lot of penalty for that, and you want to don't want somebody to to. Uh, Declare it after they've said they're going to do something else. Um, you know, it should be. I think it's. I think my understanding is it should be obvious to everybody else they're about to turn tail and bolt <laughs> when when initiative gets rolled, and that's why that has to be declared because um, uh, it 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 it's kind of fair to the other side. You know, it balances things out. So if I'm wrong on that, let me know.
2: Good point on showing how evil the Jedi are for using clones during the Clone Wars. That's definitely not a, a good act, using that clone army. So, so I think we, we've, of course, they're absolutists, right? We, we know Jedi so are absolutists, so anyhow, maybe, maybe Carl would like to talk on the morality of Jedi's using clones. I'd be interested to hear that conversation. But we'll, I'm not going to call it his show. I'd like to keep it on your show because I get confused bouncing around between shows. Interestingly enough, prior to the prequel, so in, in Jason's canon, there's not much really written down about the Clone Wars. We we have the Thrawn trilogy, which gives you some references. Uh, again, that's what they should have made if they're going to make movies after Return of the Jedi. They, sh- they should have gone there. But the... Lucasfilm had actually not let writers write much about events that happened prior to Star Wars, the, the first movie that's now called A New Hope by some people, because they didn't want that effect in future films. So Clone Wars and all were kind of off-limits to writers. Um, although they did pop up, like I say, in the Thrawn trilogy, you have things that pop up. But, yeah, for the most part, it's, it's a really murky thing, and we don't know that you know, pre-prequels, whether the Clone Wars were such a heinous event or not. All in all, great show. Looking forward to your next one. Looking forward to playing games with you in the future. And, yeah, keep up the great work. Hang in there, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks, Jason. Yeah, I think the irony is one of the most most, uh, memorable quotes from the prequel movies is uh Obi-Wan telling Anakin that only a Sith thinks in absolutes, but you see constant times where the Jedi are so rigid <laughs> that that they're the ones that are they they deal in absolutes as well um to the point that, that they're kind of blind to what's going around them sometimes and ultimately help contributes to the fall of of uh what brings about the fall of the Jedi order um and uh you know it appears from from what we see of the of the, the sequel trilogy that that uh, Luke failed to they failed to impart that the, the reasons for that failure onto Luke and he just repeated it again, which I think sucked. I, I think I think the biggest problem with the sequel trilogy was basically they undid the moral vi- moral victories and the sacrifices of the heroes of the previous generation, and just instead of finding a new threat and a new way to go about exploring what happens with the next phase of the cycle and then and, and the ongoing battle between the dark side and the light side of the force. They just cheapened what, what, what Luke and his generation did <laughs> and had him die alone and in failure and, 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 you know, grieving for what they had lost instead of, ah, it just, you know, the, fr- the prequels had to end in a tragedy. The sequels, Almost had to invent a tragedy to exist, um, because of course the the, the 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 middle trilogy, the original trilogy didn't didn't end in a tragedy. So anyway, um, enough about Star Wars. <laughs> I did like Zon, the the Thron the Thron trilogy. I'm glad that even though they booted that from canon, they have returned Thrawn to uh, continuity. So Jason, I'm going to continue to lean on you to. Take a good look at the animated, particularly the Rebels series, because uh Thrawn will be making his live appearance, live action appearance in the upcoming Ahsoka series on Disney. So um hopefully it'll be more like the Mandalorian and a little less like I I've enjoyed the book of Boba Fett. I see I know it's not as good as the The Mandalorian. It's been kind of inconsistent, but I've generally enjoyed it, particularly that last episode. So um anyway, Jason, thanks for the calls and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, I want to thank Jason and Carl for their uh, calls, and I want to thank everybody else for listening, Um, and I'll be back here in a few days with another episode. Take care out there. And that's it for this episode of The Arcane Alienist. I want to thank Dave Bone for the cover art that I use for the episodes. Check out ironseer.com, and the music is... Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, Give me a call sometime through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, and I'll be back in the future with another episode.